Welcome to the Semi-Interesting Podcast, where we explore some of the unique legal issues in the global semiconductor industry. My name is Nathaniel Lusak. I'm an IP attorney at the law firm of Hodgson Russ and one of your hosts. I'm joined today to talk about the enforcement side of intellectual property, or at least sort of the the Cold War-esque situation that you find yourself in, in this industry space, and how you how you approach that. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Elizabeth and Joe from Pure Storage. Two of you want to quick say hello and introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi. So I'm Elizabeth Morris. Happy to be here again to chat with you about this. This is one of my favorite topics. Just a little background about me. When I was in private practice, I started in litigation and IP litigation, and that really informed my later prosecution focus um, and has been a very important piece, especially in my position here at Pure Storage as Director of IP and Product in making sure that we're really making litigation-ready patents that maybe hopefully we don't ever have to use, but that we have. How about you, Joe? Hey, folks. This is Joe Kachera calling for Pure's Austin, Texas office, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, this is an exciting topic to me, kind of like it is with Elizabeth, because it's not your vanilla, you know, our jobs are not our, the vanilla prep and pros routine, right? We, we are developing business assets to provide us with business leverage that's key to protecting our revenue streams. So it's a really exciting topic. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to have a lot more airspace to fill in just 20 minutes. We'll do our best. Wonderful. Uh, so thank you both again for being here. You are a new company, new by what, a decade uh, thereabouts. So compared to some of the established players, you're a baby. We can talk a little bit about how you strategize internally, what you're doing internally, but what might be a good place to start is how do you make enough noise that some of the established players know you're there and perhaps think twice about picking on you? So pure storage, you're, you're right, Nathaniel. We just turned we just turned 13 recently. I'm very been a very successful ride, and um, our you know our momentum is amazing. That being said, I mean we're barely out of diapers. We are barely out of the diaper stage compared to the large incumbents in our space. So we are, you know, we are the new kid on the block in that regard. And she asked a good question. How do we, you know, how do we make our presence known? Well, there's multiple ways, right? We're very intentional about getting out there um, at the the key IP conferences, being on center stage with panels and whatnot. And again, just communicating what our posture is, right? I mean, we want to compete in the marketplace. That being said, if somebody decides that they'd rather spar us with our IP, look, we're ready and we make it known. But we're also very intentional about saying that, look, this is not something that we're not looking to go out and pick fights, but we will sure as heck defend our turf if somebody pokes us. Another way we do it is through um, through articles. And in fact, actually, I'll hand off to Elizabeth because, you know, I mean, she's been up here a very short time and she I, I can't even keep track of all the ways she's getting our message out there. Well, I've certainly been very fortunate since I've been at Pure to um, be able to talk to the press uh, quite a few times about various strategies that Pure has, and um, certainly have to be talking to you here today about that uh, strategy as well. I think that uh, you know one of the things that I love about Pure is how very very focused they are on getting claims that read on competitor products. We have um, not just our prosecution firms that are drafting those, but we have an entirely additional firm that specifically works on charting and on looking at competitor products and making sure that we have, you know, missiles, honestly, you know, aimed at 
those competitors should we need them. And we're not looking to start fights, but we are absolutely ready at the drop of a hat with litigation-ready, tested patents. And you don't need a thousand, I mean, kind of going back to our discussion of, you know, being the new kids on the block, you, you don't need a thousand patents that read on a competitor, but you need some that you've looked at. So it's not just a stack of paper on your desk, right? It's here are my top five. And I have looked at these in detail. I have looked at all of the elements of this claim. And when we look at one and then we go through them um, and we find potential issues, we file a continuation, right? And we work on getting rid of whatever that potential issue was so that, you know, we have something that's even better. So, I mean, that's another strategy um, I'm sure we could talk to is uh, making sure that we keep our families open so that we're nimble, that we can file a continuation when we need to. Um, and we don't say, oh, geez, you know, I I have been, you know, I have worked for clients that are more in the one and done, right? We thought, you know, we want to cover this widget. We only want to cover what we do. We think we got it probably. Here's our claims. We're done, right? And uh, the pure strategy is much more fluid than that and working on uh, always being competitive because you don't know. I mean, patents last 20 years, right? And, and you don't want to be in that position where you have a closed family where you put something in there that just ended up being uh, you know, a killer for the whole, whole group. So going back when I was in-house at Applied Materials, then before that at Varian Semiconductor, when we we're trying to set up specific piles of patents for particular competitors. It was always a team effort, not just with the patent attorneys, but also with the technical team. So members of the patent review committee, whether they were in engineering or R&D. Is that something similar that you have technical people who are continuously monitoring on that? It is really funny that you should ask that. We have a secret weapon that we, uh, you know, couldn't even bring to our meeting here because he's so secret. But uh, we essentially have another member of our team who has worked with our founder since even before the founding of the company that knows the industry inside and out and sits honestly in all of our outside council meetings and our strategy meetings and gives his perspective. So, you know, Joe and I, I think are really uh, lucky that way that we, ha we have somebody that's really tested and, and has been deposed before, has been in litigations before, you know, knows how patents can get twisted. Honestly, he's very grumpy about the whole patent system and thinks that it is, you know, irrevocably broken, but he's still, you know, willing to, you know, we're like, hey, you know, we got to work with what we've got. And, uh, you know, we've got to make tools that work in this space. And he's very helpful that way. Elizabeth, you, you hit it well. And you touched on one of our secret weapons. And here's a great part, Nathaniel. We have multiple secret weapons. We combine them all to build what Elizabeth and I would call a high quality portfolio. And I want to qualify that, right? Because again, being the new, you know, the youngster on the block, we don't have near as many patents as everyone else, but we don't need near as many patents as everyone else, right? We can be a, a, a fraction of them, but they're high quality. And yes, of course, you ask a hundred IP attorneys, do you have a high quality portfolio? They're going to say, we absolutely have a high quality portfolio. That's all we build. Yet, if you ask them to define quality, you'll get a hundred different definitions. Here's our definition. Our definition of a high quality patent is the degree to which that patent reads on relevant revenue of a potential adversary. That's how we define a high quality patent. At the end of the day, I'll be frank with you guys. I really don't care if the patents read on our widget or not. I'm really not worried about that, right? I'm more concerned about, I, I get more business leverage if my patent reads on my competitor's revenue. That serves as a deterrent for them not to come poke me. And if they do, we're more than happy to waive a few of them 
And as has happened before, sometimes we'll hear, oh, just kidding. And we both go back to our day jobs and the businesses continue to compete in the marketplace, not in the court. So it's been a really effective strategy and um, a recipe seems to be working in my opinion. How would you structure the specification then? Because Elizabeth, you, you mentioned earlier continuations as being an option. And if you're continuously monitoring, what do you plan for with the specification of your patent applications if you want to try to reuse these or retarget them later? Well, we have a really robust, I'd say, you know, just sort of standard application that we use for most of our products that um, has been uh, as time tested. And, you know, we try to be um, careful to make sure that we have covered all of the basics and all of the definitions and that we're consistent in how we use the terminology and pieces like that. And then as uh, new ideas come along, you know, then we use that base spec and put the new ideas in. And of course, this is US focused, but we're also not above doing a CIP, right? And getting the new material. If it's not in there and it's important, then we are happy to file a continuation in part to make sure that we have the material that we need. And, and you know, the ideal situation with a CIP is that you can have a broad enough original claim that it's, uh, you know, it gets the original date and then you get the uh, later date with the dependence. But that's a strategy that I think we're all familiar with in uh, the details of prosecution as it goes along. Nathaniel, Elizabeth stated very well, look, at the end of the day, we try to get every Lego brick, every shape, every color, every size into the bucket, right? The spec being the bucket. You know, we may pull it out and build a race car today. We may turn that into a tank in 10 years, right? We just need the pieces in there. And so the comment I'll make is, you know, we, we are on a fixed fee schedule, right? And, and that makes it easy, not not easy, but it, it makes it, we nail our budget every quarter because we're on a fixed fee schedule. It's very predictable. We know what, you know, what we're going to be invoiced each quarter. And the reason I make that comment is I've talked to outside counsel who do the math. They're like, wait a second, you write these really dense, large specifications but you're not going to pay me any more money for it. Wait, you know, Matt done that up. Instantly, we know that firm has the wrong mindset. They're billable hour minded. They are transactionally minded, not relationally minded. Well, you know what? We don't, our fees are fair, right? We don't pay the best in the business, but we, it's far from paying the worst. But here's the thing. All of our outside counsels are deeply, deeply loyal to us because we make this a win-win partnership. So while yes, they do have to put a lot, you know, they break a sweat and put a lot of effort into our specification, into what they draft. To Elizabeth's point, this patent's going to be alive for 20 years. Guess what? They built a small cash register with each rev of the office actions, continuations, CIP. You know what? They're hearing dollar signs while they're sleeping at night. So again, and we were very intentional about making these engagements. What we found is when you make a business partnership, a winning partnership, You'll get the work product that meets the quality bars that we've set very high. You know, our, our outside counsels know how to give us, delight us with their work product. I know I've worked with you before, Nathaniel, was sometimes you've said like, oh, I got this application, you know, it was transferred to us and it's so very thin and like, how am I going to pull anything out? Right. And that's exactly what, you know, we're trying to avoid is um, to make sure that the specifications that we're giving that, you know, the Lego bricks that we're giving to our prosecution counsel are uh, varied and interesting enough that um, there's room to be nimble depending on what art comes up and, you know, where, where you need to go, where the competitors are threatening you. And actually, because you mentioned where they're threatening you, what do you do from, we've talked a lot about the US, do you tailor some of your strategies to file in certain countries because you know this is relevant there? 
or do you just have a set number and hold on to it so you know that you always have China, Japan, Korea, regardless of which potential competitor it applies to? Nathaniel, great question on on foreign filing strategy. And look, um, in addition to uh, Elizabeth being a litigation guru, that's one of the reasons we brought her in. Another one, another reason why, among many, is her uh, foreign filing expertise. Right? She's really helped strengthen our approach. You know, filing globally. And this is here's a comment uh, that I'll make that I don't think folks appreciate, and they should. You asked Nathaniel about jurisdictions. I want to give a tip to your listeners, folks. Follow the trolls. What do I mean by that? Right? Watch what the trolls do. Right? I mean, obviously, you see their activity in Germany. Now you see them setting up shop in Ireland. Follow their behavior. A lot of folks find that you know offensive, but I would say, look, don't get bitter. Get better. Why do I say that? Trolls are business savvy, and folks need to realize that patents are their business asset, and they are mindful of nurturing those things. Right? They don't treat them like cattle; they treat them like pets. And we know how much we pamper our pets. So watch the trolls' behavior, how they manage their portfolios internationally, and, and again with the landscape changing, right? With, with, with laws changing all the time, you know, especially with the formation of UPC. Watch what they do. Learn some nifty tricks and shenanigans from them. Yeah, I think it's very important that you have a strategy in uh, your foreign jurisdiction that can be nimble enough to deal with the fact that every uh, litigation in every country is different. So, you know, there's different rules about discovery that mean particular patents are going to be more valuable. So we don't have a one size fits all. This is these are the only places that we have competitors. This is where we're going to file. You know, we look at the cases on a case by case basis and make a decision about where to go. And definitely um, with the UPC, that means we're doing different things with uh, different patents even within the same family to make sure that we have broad coverage and um, very specific coverage, that we have um, cases that would be very hard to invalidate in a variety of places. So it's been a really fun uh, piece for me to be building up at, at Pure. And, um, you know, they already had a, had a good thing going, but it's been, uh, it's been really great to expand on that, uh, especially internationally. I want to jump in quickly, Nathaniel. Here's what Elizabeth does, and this is what I encourage your listeners to do. Challenge assumptions, right? Because that can be the problem with foreign filing strategies. It gets defined, here's the countries we're filing in, you know, here's how many we're filing, boom, you know, and you just start turning the crank. Elizabeth shows up and she says, well, why aren't we considering here? Well, or, or why are we continuing to file here? Always challenge your, your assumptions because, again, it's a dynamic landscape and even business conditions change. And your competitors' business conditions are always changing and where they're going and you know where they're leaving. You need to be mindful of that. So you're very intentional about spending your company's valuable patent dollars wisely. So uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we've been doing recently is really pressure testing our litigation ready charts. So there is a there's a level of getting ready that is kind of I would say like charting light, right? Charting at the level that you need if somebody comes to you and is really looking for some sort of cross license agreement. And then there's the charting that you do when uh, you're really like, okay, you know we're going to go to court and we need to make sure that we've really dotted all our I's and crossed all our T's. And um, that's a new initiative that we've been doing recently is to push some of our missiles um, to the level that we really know they can shoot around the world, I guess, you know, that they're really at the level where they're going to be ready should we need them. And that's been an exciting place to be. And and I'm um, very 
proud of and, and appreciative of our company's focus on that. And, you know, our, our CTO office and, and our general counsel, you know, is very, very supportive of the IP spend that we're doing and knowing that we're doing it to put the company in a position where they're not going to be surprised by litigation and they can, you know, really focus on the engineering. Elizabeth, you made an excellent point. Nathaniel, this is another thing I would draw attention to for your listeners is that oftentimes in most companies, at least that I've worked with, the patent budget knob is the, is the largest dollar knob in the, in the legal department, right? Apart from litigation, you know, and that's always unpredictable, but it's a large knob. It's always the shiniest one when it comes, it comes down to, you know, companies reduce and spend. So you know how you protect that knob? You do exactly what Elizabeth said. You build a big giant stack of missiles. And so when, when management comes around and says, what are you doing with my patent dollars? Boom, you set out, you know, hundreds of missiles and it says, look what we're building, right? This is what you're getting for your dollar. You're demonstrating value with actu without actually having gone into litigation, yet they know they can sleep well at night, sleep warm and cozy because they know you're protecting them no matter what's going to show up on the doorstep. It, what you'll find yourself is instead of them saying, hey, we want to cut your budget, what we've run into is patenting. We love the way you spend our money. Can we give you more? And I'm not making that one up. No, it's true. We went into a meeting with the CTO and the founder like last week and we said, we want X amount per quarter. And he said, uh, that math doesn't work. I think it needs to be Y amount. So <laughs> that was great. Yeah. A lot more. They, they, they said, you know, when, when you demonstrate you're being wise with the company's dollars and how you're spending it, it makes it really easy to give you a lot more. So again, I just want to challenge folks, right? Have a narrative for your C-suite on why you're spending their patent dollars wisely and again, if they sure, if they want to dial not back, but be able to articulate, here's what you're going to lose. I hate using uh, military analogies be with everything else that's going on in the world, but patents obviously have an offensive capability. So I'm, I'm curious in terms of war games or, or what kind of simulations you're running in order to justify your spend on some of these patents and your missiles, so to speak. So Nathaniel, we stay very close. Look, we're very intentional about building strong relationships with uh, with with all the business departments, one of them being the competitive team, right? No one's going to know what my competitor is doing better than the competitive team, right? And our folks are so good, I'm convinced they know what our competitors ate for breakfast that morning. That is how that, that that's how um tuned in they are. So again, we stay close with them. We are always we are meeting with them regularly to understand what, you know, how is that, is the competitor's business evolving such that we continue to target claims on the, on the most relevant revenue, right? You know, the current revenue, and we want claims to target where the roadmap is going. By understanding that, we, we have a high degree of confidence that we can protect ourselves should that potential adversary show up on our doorstep. So again, that's why it's not just a prep and process building patents in a vacuum. You need, in fact, it's an absolute necessity that as the IP person in your company, you need to understand the business landscape in which your company operates. And you need to know who the threats are. You need to understand how they're evolving. And you need to tailor your, your path portfolio to basically to, to handle you know the, the, the potential threats. Well, thank you both for joining the semi-interesting podcast today, talking about assessing threats uh, and then uh, what you do with them and how to how to prepare, how to build the strategy, and most importantly, how to justify the cost to the executive team.
appreciate both of you being here. Hope you can join a future episode of the podcast. Thanks, Nathaniel. It's been really, really great talking to you about this. And uh, I'm uh, excited to go home and think of more strategies we can do to uh, to keep our, our uh, portfolio strong. Well said, Elizabeth. Nathaniel, thank you very much. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Semi-Interesting Podcast. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. And if you enjoyed the episode, we always appreciate five-star reviews. While we talked about legal issues, none of the information shared during this podcast is intended to be legal advice. If you have any questions about information we cover or ideas for a future episode, feel free to contact me or the other attorneys at Hodgson Russ. You can find contact information at www.hodgsonruss.com.